What I do is inconsequential. Why I do what I do is I get to shorten people's journeys every day. What I love about our hospitality industry is that it's our mission to make people feel cared for while on their journeys. Together, we'll explore what hospitality means in the built environment, in business, and in our daily lives. I'm Dan Ryan, and this is Defining Hospitality. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Today's guest is a leader in the hospitality and hotel management industry. He's passionate about maintaining teams of excellence. He's developed a leadership strategy called River Guide Leadership. He's forward-focused to the future of the industry and also has created a ton of leaders. Ladies and gentlemen, the president and CEO of Chesapeake Hospitality, Mr. Chris Green. Hey, Chris, how are you, buddy? Hey, Dan, good to see you. Um, so through this whole pandemic, one of the things that has been great for me, and also I think for the industry as, as, as hard as we've been hit, um, is just these new relationships that have fostered. And to be able to connect with other leaderships who are supportive uh, with entrepreneurs and, and vision and sharing. And like, I just want to put you into that category. And it's been so great to get to know you over this past year and a half. So I just want to start off by saying thank you. Well, I, I agree, Dan. And I think that we've had we've had some time on our hands to really think deeply about relationships and how industries intertwine, how different types of industries might be able to do business as we emerge from this, this deep change in our world. And uh, it's, it's really helped me to meet a lot of new people, uh, yourself included. I mean, it's been great to talk to entrepreneurs in, in similar or alignable in industries that, that, that we can think about the future together and collaborate and, and really see what's possible. So I've, I've had a great time. That's been one of the bright spots of the pandemic, frankly. Yeah. Well, and also in, in through all of this and, and having you speak to this network of entrepreneurs that I'm involved with, one of the things that really struck me that we didn't expound on as much, but I could tell it just from your heart that um, how at all costs you develop such a group of leaders that you work with and, and that no matter what was coming, you did everything in your power to keep those leaders with you on, and, and aligned. I was wondering, like, tell us about that whole process and coming out of that, because I think that that caring and sense of um, allegiance is really going to inform the, the whole rest of our conversation, because it's, a, it's such a deep part of you. Sure, sure. I can't really point to a specific time in my career when it became my ultimate priority, but at some point, I would, I'm guessing in my early to mid-30s, uh, when I realized that there was no important job that I had none in, in leadership, none, than making sure that the rest of the leaders were uh, better than I was, that they had every tool, every capacity, every training opportunity, um, because from the minute they became a leader, their whole world was opening up ahead of them. And in our job, looking back as leaders who've been through, been around, is, is not really telling them how it's supposed to be, but letting them see how it's going to be and let them define their future with us supporting them. So um, it was a huge shift for me in how I led my people, how I learned to lead my departments at that time or my hotels and ultimately lead an organization like Chesapeake. But, but I've seen so many people thrive when we place, listen, you can talk to all of the big Fortune 500 companies and the consultants and they say, sure, you got to invest and you got to invest. But the truth is, is we really don't. We've got a lot of competing business priorities. And what I had to do and what we've had to do at Chesapeake is we've had to set aside these other competing business priorities to make sure that the one thing that matters is, is our primary focus. And interestingly enough, all the other competing business priorities seem to really take care of themselves when you have great leaders at the helm. And um, I'm just really proud of what we try to do. It, it's, if you draw out your career, if I drew out my career and said, someday I would love to be in a position to influence 3,300 lives and help people see their positive future and see the outcome they wanna see for their lives, I don't think I could have named what that title would have been, but it it's ended up being the job that I have now. So it's yeah. pretty exciting. Well, hearing you say like at the helm and being a leader and um, this whole idea of, uh, of your river guide leadership, um, I'm kind of, my brain is going back to like, I love studying ancient history and the whole, and the Peloponnesian war and the Athenian Navy. And there was a time 
when they were going out to Sicily to kind of take over, take over the island or retake over one of their colonies. I forget all the details. And the admiral who was in charge of these ships that went to go take it, basically they were all, they all offloaded onto the beach and then the admiral burned all the ships. And he's like, all right, go. So I'm not saying that you burned all the ships, but it's almost like this pandemic made so many decisions for us that that was almost like the ship burning. And then you're just forced with one way to go, which is forward. So like walk us through some of the really incredibly difficult times that you went through and, and what, what gave you hope through them? You know, this is twice in two weeks when I've been kind of confronted with some kind of ancient thinking. I, I, I on a complete side, I, and maybe we'll talk about it somehow, we'll leave it in, but I was talking to somebody about the ship of Theseus, which is a thought experiment. I don't even know if you're familiar with it. But, no, I'm not. But maybe we can weave it into the leadership discussion. But this, so this is very interesting that twice in two weeks I've talked about ancient ships. So um, listen, we have core values at our company. And for me, core values are more than a statement on a piece of paper. They're, they're literally how I live my life. And one of our core values is integrity. And integrity to me is either always true or it's not at all. It, it has to be always true. And that's a very difficult standard to live up to. So when we were faced with the fact that our company revenues were going to drop to near zero, who knew how long, we had a choice to make. We had a choice to make of if we believe what we said, that we care about our people and our culture, and that our people are Chesapeake. And that was a difficult choice to make, but you know, not one person on our board even hesitated when the decision was made to retain 100% of our corporate team so that we would be the same company emerging on the other side as we were going in. Because the fact is um, that, that this, wasn't, this wasn't a normal industry downturn where companies have to shed a little bit of payroll or adjust their staffing. This was just a massive pause that was created by a pandemic that no one in our lifetime has ever experienced. So how do you handle it pro professionally? I don't know. We just did it the way we know how to do it at Chesapeake. And that meant leaning into our people. Um, so it was tough because, I mean, as you can imagine, finances are tight and it was difficult. But when you have a group of partners like I do that are committed to the same vision of people first, people first, people first, it, it sends a message to the marketplace. If you talk to some of our owner clients, I, I've received numerous thank you letters from them of how we stayed the course, that we didn't just jettison everybody and, and cut, the, you know, cut to the bone and try and make it through, that we, we changed the way we did business. To, to lean into our clients, to help them through the most difficult time in their, their investment careers or their ownership careers. And I think as I look back on this, I think we also did a great service to our leaders in our company, the, the next generation of leaders, because we showed them that you can make a tough decision. And the tough decisions often are, very, are painful, but they're also very, very, can be very, very right. And can create an outcome, which I would say, as I look at the marketplace now and how much we're moving forward aggressively um, with development and growth opportunities that speak to the market about who you truly are and whether you really believe what you say. So I get the feeling from our previous conversations that those really difficult converse, uh, really difficult decisions that you and your leaders made were all also around people. They were all around people. They were all around people. We did two things. Uh, listen, the hotels, I mean, unfortunately, at the hotel level, there was no revenues. There had to be, there was no way to keep the entire staff. I mean, we were, mm -hmm. there just not, wasn't any. But what we did do immediately, and I've told a little bit of this story in other places, is we, we broke our corporate teams into support for our exiting associates, support for our current associates, and then support for our current clients. And then we also put, took a sales organization and we moved them into a recovery planning immediately like they like probably march 25th of 2020 we were in recovery planning with sale and marketing so we had teams focused on the care of each individual constituency and then we had the focus on the future and so our one of our core hr leaders took and we built out a platform on our webpage that helped all of our exiting associates know exactly where they had to go every link for every state resource of you know unemployment benefits, training, anything, job opportunities, we built up this platform and we spoke directly to that team to help facilitate them because the best we could do was care for them through this difficult time. Mm -hmm. And then we invested in time, you know, training for our corporate team and, and enhancing skill sets through the pandemic to make sure that our corporate team not only 
kind of stayed the course, but thrived and came out of it stronger. And then we spent time focusing on our clients and made sure they knew that we turned all of our resources that were normally, whether they're revenue generation or whatever, into capital preservation and cash flow planning to protect them and their assets through this. And I'm, I'm happy to say every one of our clients navigated the pandemic and is coming out of it now. So, yeah. And I'm curious though, like when you, when we really think about the state of the hospitality industry now and trying to get people to come back into it. I know like, for instance, retail with the onset of online shopping, everything, 4 million jobs just evaporated. They were totally disrupted. In hospitality, it's not disrupted, but I'm kind of getting the feeling from what I'm seeing that people are a bit stung by that and don't are a little nervous to come back into it. And, and I know like on all those difficult decisions that you made and that your team made, they were all surrounded around people were the hardest ones. So like, how are you seeing it now? And like, and kind of tying it back in, like what gives you hope about getting people back into our amazing industry? I, you know, that's a, it, really those are the most difficult. To me, financial decisions are easy. Business decisions and whatever, how, how we're going to account for something, whether we're going to acquire something. Those are all just math and they, you know, they, whether they, they bear out or don't. But people matter, right? And, and that's, yeah. that's one of my core leadership fundamentals is people and the person matters, not just the people that fills the job of executive housekeeper, the person and their wholeness as a person. So, so that matters. Um, I don't, I don't know, Dan, the difficulty, the difficulty around it is, is when we don't think like humans, when we think like business first, I think we have to think human first. And uh, once we do that, the outcomes, people know genuine care and concern when they see it. And it doesn't mean that we, it doesn't mean that we don't aren't good business people. I think we're excellent business people. But care and concern for others and putting others first, it's just, it's just the right thing to do. I mean, we're in the hospitality business. So what's, what's the difference? You know, I, I was uh, talking to a, a news publication of two weeks ago, and they said, well, what are you doing about this staffing crisis? And I said, One, the first thing I'm doing is I'm putting my arms around my current state of people and loving on them as much as I can, mm -hmm. right? I want them to know how much we appreciate them and how much we respect and admire the job they did for the past 16 months and that no one's ever been through it and they set a new standard for excellence you know just really grabbing a hold of them and making sure they feel loved because the last thing i could do is have somebody leave so uh, this might actually be a kind of a leading question to like my main question that i ask at all these but i've heard you say care about 20 times people first love loving on them so like if we kind of step back and think about why we're here talking today in this defining hospitality podcast. Like, how do you, Chris Green, define hospitality? I get asked this question a lot, but to me, it's just genuine care and concern for a positive outcome for others. And that that is hospitality. And that's what's cool about that is, is I, it's our, my living and it's also my life. And what I mean by that is um, just because I make money doing it in the hotel business, Hospitality is something that you should practice every day, whether it's with your neighbor or with the person at the grocery store or whatever, the person who's frustrating you at a grocery store. You know, it's, it's how we treat our fellow humans. Uh, I was raised by, you know, I'm a Southern boy. I was raised by my mom and dad who were raised in a Southern household. And, and, and when people, when we heard somebody was coming to visit, I mean, what did you do? You break out the best china. We didn't have china. My dad was in the military, so we had Corel. We broke out the fancy Corel wear, and we uh, got the- It's making you know, a comeback. It is making a the comeback. The Corel wear, yeah. But keep going. I didn't mean to interrupt. But I, it's... No, no. But, but, but those were my proudest moments when I saw how we served others and put others first. You know, you move the kids out of the bedroom, and they move down to the floor, and the guests got the bedroom. And I mean, that's the way we should be thinking is, is what is, how can I be- how can I make Dan Ryan the most comfortable possible? Even mm -hmm. if it's at my expense, that's what hospitality is, is giving of yourself to others and letting them experience a fullness that, that you can help provide. So I just love it. And I think that's the same thing in leadership is, yeah. is the minute that we take our leadership as some sort of right or some sort of, I don't know, something that we own, we've made a mistake. Our leadership belongs to our team and we owe it to them immediately the day they take a leadership role. Mm. 
you know, going into that, gen you think you said specifically genuine care and concern and that you learned it from your parents who I'm hearing you say it came from limited means. But if you, so much of what we learn, we learn from our parents in those early parts of our life. Like where do you, from their upbringing, like how do you think they learned it? How did they transfer that to you? I, I know it was from, I mean, I look back at my grandma. I mean, my grandma was the sweetest little lady. She, 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 you, you never went to her house when there wasn't a big, she lived in Missouri and there wasn't a big, and I still, I, my, my mouth's going to water, a big tray of, uh, of fried chicken on the table. I mean, she just was always taking care of people. You know, you sit down, let me get you a tea. How can I make you comfortable? And, and then, but, but then this is the difference. When that was done, it wasn't just the food and the sustenance part. It was sitting and talking and then looking at people. And she would ask these really penetrating questions and listen. Ooh. Well, what are, okay, that's awesome. So like, what were some of the best questions that you remember that your grandmother asked? Because I think questions and listening, it get, it get lost on us in all this noise. So I love asking questions. I'd love, what was like some of the ones that you remember from your grandmother? I mean, I remember her asking specifically, you know, what are things that you hope for in the future, Christopher? She called me Christopher. And, uh, you know, what are things that you hope for? And, and what, what, would, what would fill your life with joy? She was really about finding, not necessarily financial, because honestly, listen, um, I feel very blessed the way, you know, just the way things have worked out. But my grandfather was a railroadman. So he, he was a caboose. He was, we worked in the caboose on the railroad in the Southeast Missouri rail lines. Then my dad was in the enlisted in the military, not an officer. Uh, one of the hardest working men I ever knew. He worked three jobs to support our family. So I, I do. I come from I come from limited means growing up, and but I saw what the the authenticity of care and concern looked like instead of the the uh, hoopla around care and concern. Anybody can throw a big party, but do you do you sit with me and talk and ask about what matters to me? And so when you take that to the next level. You know, I can't say I'm perfect at it, but but there are people in my company when I get the time, when I go to a hotel, I can sit and ask them and I get to, I want to know them first. I want to know you first. Like what makes Dan Ryan tick? Then I know how to serve you as a, either a peer or, you know, in the industry or as if I'm your leader, I know how, I know how better to serve you. What meets your needs? Because everybody's needs are different and what they're looking for in a career. And, and if you don't know that, then you try and put a blueprint on top of people and people are not to be blueprinted. Everybody's different. So it's interesting. Like if you take from what your grandmother would say and like just really focus in on asking these questions about what's, where's your hope, where's your joy? And then it's, I think you said it's separated from the hoopla, right? So it's this whole different thing, but how do you distill that in your everyday life and with your leaders so that you don't get caught up in all the noise and the pop, pomp and circumstance. What are some things that, that you do and your team does to really create that moment of connection? Well, we spend time in authentic conversations. We, we you know, I think I actually reached out to you about a, a, a document for like a, a specific one-on-one, -on -one, right? This is how I'm using my peer network. But, but one of the things that we do on our one-on-ones is we have real authentic talks. What are, what, you know, what, what are, what are challenges are you facing? And, and you'd be surprised. We've just developed such a great culture of trust at Chesapeake that, that we know, we know what people, you know, I know that my VP of revenue strategy, that what really lights her life is her daughter's volleyball. You know, I know these kind of things about my people. And those are the things that we talk about because when I can hear her joy, and talking about that, I mean, there are things that you can relate to business about that joy. And, and honestly, it's really powerful for me to say that those things are really super important to us. You know, Chester, I was raised in the FaceTime era of hospitality. What I mean by the FaceTime era is who could work the most hours? I mean, that's how you got promoted. If you could work the most hours, you were the next on the list because you were more committed than anybody else. And we've changed that completely. I, I demand that my people take time off and they do the things that matter to them. They're so much better when they have a long weekend of volleyball or they have a long weekend of whatever, whatever floats their boat, right? And so, mm -hmm. and to me, to kind of bring it back to what you'd originally asked me, I don't know, 
about the river guide leadership where that whole thought process come from is I love to go, I love to get away. And one of the things I did getting away is I went whitewater rafting on the Ocoee up in North Georgia. And it's a class four with some class five rapids. And it, it, it presented me, and I didn't realize it at the time, but it's over the years shaped how I feel about leadership because there's a guide in the back of the boat, the river guide on the, on the boat. They sit up in the back and they sit up on the back part of the boat when you're down on the side and they're, they can see the rest of the river. They can see the rapids approaching. They can see you know, what the pitfalls are and where the opportunities are because they have an elevated view. And I thought, my gosh, that's what we as more senior leaders should be doing. We should be watching for the rapids. We should be watching for the challenges. And we should be leaning into our people and what, you know, what the river guide would say, he would say, okay, I need you two over here to give me two back paddles fast and you two over here to give me two front paddles fast. And then we're going to stop paddling altogether. So with, with direct and firm leadership that was based in seeing the broader space, the marketplace, if you will, or the river, if you will, that, that leader or that river guide was able to coach the team in such a fashion to give them great confidence in their specific effort and then enjoy the outcome with them and celebrate the outcome. And that's what they did. They immediately praised. When you'd pass the rapid, it would praise you. And when you, the team was working in sync, you would go through the rapid, no problem. When the team wouldn't listen or one team member wasn't performing well, then the boat would twist and you'd be in all kinds of problems. You'd have somebody go overboard and everything else. And it, and it really has kind of turned into a more broader philosophy for me, but it really makes me think that even the leadership journey for those people that are coming onto your team, when they're climbing onto the side of your whitewater raft, just like I was that day, and they say, there's some class five rapids. Oh, there's some turbulent business times coming up. Those young leaders are scared. And what do they need? They're, they're, they're concerned. They need a steady hand sitting in the back of the boat that, mm -hmm. that is calm, that sees the river, that knows how to handle every instance with expertise, and then gives them coaching on how to handle this. I mean, I can specifically remember going into one called the, uh, the Devil's, dadgummit, the Devil's Washing Machine, I think is the name of it. Devil and, anything is usually yeah, it was a just bad not route. good. He goes, okay, guys, you know, but he says, hey, guys, we're going to be hitting this, this whatever, the devil's whatever. He said, and it's tough. And he said, but here's what you need to do. When I tell you you're going to do X and X on this side, be in the middle, I want you to sit back in the boat. And on the back, I need all back. When I say all back, everybody at once back up and paddle backwards. And um, so you're, you're nervous, but you've got this strong leader. He's not scared. You look over at him and he's confident, smiling, right, excited. You go in and you come out the other side and immediate praise, excellent work. That's perfectly how we should have navigated that. And those are the ways that we need to be leading. And for me, it's it's not only is it simple, but people understand it, they get it. To go with this nautical theme, um, <laughs> one of the things like when, when you say rapids, um, I'm thought of, I think about in those coaching sessions where oftentimes those rapids for, for people are hey, where are you stuck? Where can you need help? Because it can be so immobilizing. And when you hear and when people make themselves vulnerable and share where they're stuck as a leader and have and the experience, he's like, oh, let me call that person or have you thought of this? And it's a really quick way to get people unstuck. The other thing that I'm, as you're talking about this river, river guide leadership, the other goal is to also make more river guides, right? So as you're coaching and mentoring and, and building leaders it's like how many leaders can you get on that on that river river of hospitality river of whatever industry or vocation we may choose um i'd love to hear more about that like as far as the leaders how do you what's your best way to create leaders well first i look for curiosity i mean that's the number one trait that i look for in future leaders is curiosity i think mm -hmm. that the biggest risk to a great leader is self-confidence. Not, not, and I don't mean having some, I mean too much. Uh, when you believe you've got it all together, you're definitely wrong uh, because I've been doing this 30 plus years and I definitely don't have it all together. And I know that. And so I seek other relationships, people to sharpen me and make me stronger and smarter. And, and so I think that the thing that we would talk about next would be is once you pass the rapid, whether it's in business or whatever, is not just saying great job, but then taking the time to do a hot wash or a meeting of before the next rapid came. Okay, guys, 
here's why and the reasoning behind the fact that I needed this side of the boat paddling backwards, this side of the boat paddling forwards. And the leaders that were in the boat that asked the questions, like, well, explain to me how that helps to navigate this rapid. Explain to me how by adjusting your ADR or your marketing strategy or your sales process to go towards a specific segment of business helped to drive this positive outcome on the bottom line of the hotel. Those are the leaders that you that really are showing the propensity to become future river guides. Um, I think those that don't have you can just spot it. So really for Chesapeake, I fill the place with curious leaders. I want them driving me crazy with questions. I do because it just shows engagement and I love answering those questions and I love to help them get unstuck, as you said. I think that's our number one role. I mean, here's the the thing is, and without the risk of patting myself on the back, I, I was a pretty good GM. I, I didn't, I had some great results. I, I loved my hotels. I, I crushed results wherever I was. Um, and I have a real, I have a real problem sometimes with sitting in the back of the boat and river guiding and not just jumping up to the front of the boat and paddling. Cause I do know how to paddle through the rapid. Mm-hmm. Like I know, but that doesn't do anybody any good. It doesn't help my team become river guides. It helps them become followers. And I don't want followers. I want leaders. Yeah, that's great. It's like you're almost clearing the way for them to have their own guidebook. There's an, there's another metaphor that I'm thinking of as you're saying it, having been on a lot of rafting trips, which you learn from the river guide and this whole idea of counterintuitive instincts, right? So I remember they always said, hey, if you if you get bumped off the boat and you're caught in a washing machine or in a rapid, when you come up, it sucks you back down. You have to swim downward to get in the current to go. And that actually happened to me. And I remember coming up, coming up and getting freaked out. And then I was like, you know, I got to swim down to catch this. And it, it was just, I never would have known that if it wasn't for the steady hand in the back, who was telling me what to do or to be aware of. It wasn't even telling me what to do. Be aware this may happen. Here's my experience. What do you think about that? I think it's, I think it's spot on. We actually had that similar thing happen uh, in one of the most difficult rapids, but he had told us in advance, which I think that's great leadership. You know, when you're thinking about a business outcome or you're thinking about a a path forward or strategic initiative, (laughs) nobody has all the answers. Because if we did, if we did, we'd all be whatever on the Forbes 100 list or something, right? You know, we'd be Bezos. But, But so you need to prepare for unexpected issues uh, or even expected issues. And I think the way you, you talked about it was great. Our, our guide told us pretty much the same thing. This one hydraulic is going to suck you down if you fall out of the boat. Don't fight it. Put your legs up, put your hands behind your back and go down the river. And we'll pick you up like 200 yards down river. And that actually happened. I mean, one of our one of our guys went in and down. And I mean, within 30 seconds, he's way down past the boat because he got in the jet stream of that hydro, you know, that hydraulic sent him down the river. But that's that's coaching. That's coaching for your team. It's it's like I ran a big resort in Florida. And on weekends, listen, this place was unbelievably busy. When you say busy hotel, I can't really describe to you how busy it was. We would have thousands of people on the pool deck and beach and um, all the restaurants would be just waiting lines. And I remember walking out on the deck uh, and with a young manager and he seemed frantic because he's, he's looking and there's just activity everywhere. And I was as calm as I could be because I had just seen it. And actually I could see through cues that I had learned over the years, everything was going fine. Everybody was having fun, it was smooth. People were getting drinks, having food. Um, but, but in that moment was the time to coach him. It was to ask questions, like the questions we talked about from my grandma. Okay, what are you nervous about right now? Well, these people over here are this, and this looks like this. And that's a coaching opportunity. But if you didn't think about it, you didn't use your experience to lean into somebody, you just kind of stood there and took it all in, you'd be missing a leadership opportunity. And sometimes I think, Dan, I want to say, because of the pressure of the banks and the financial instruments that we use to leverage hotels and other businesses nowadays, sometimes the, the, the voice that speaks louder in our head is not lead your people and make sure they're 100% ready to lead. The voice that speaks is financial results, financial results, financial results. And I'm going to sit here and tell you that, you know, until my last day of working, I will not focus on financial results first. I'm going to focus on my people and I will show you my financial results when they're done. And they're always good. 
okay, to go back into the river, like those financial results, like, so you're the captain of the boat, you're going down, those financial performance metrics could be the huge rapid that's there and it's screaming at you. Like, and you know, you have to keep going down, but sometimes you're, you may have paddled the wrong way or whatever. How do you extricate yourself from that situation without doing how, what are some instances where you've kind of managed to placate that beast so that you can keep going and doing what you're doing? I will tell you that I did it all wrong. I, I, the reason I can tell you this is I did it all wrong once before. I let that voice talk too loud to me. Back, at, back when I was a much younger manager, I had an opportunity to take over a hotel that was underperforming. And I thought, this is my chance to make my mark. You know, like I want to make the next leap to the corporate level. And, and I formulated a plan that delivered outsized results. I mean, they were not, they were well beyond what the, everybody expected financially. But what I did to that hotel on that pass was I basically took it out of what I would call the rapids and I forced it to paddle up river. Like we literally turned the boat around. We were forcing it to paddle up river. We were doing everything. Everything was so hard. It was hard on the staff. It was hard on the building. It was hard on the guests. It was just it, you know, it was putting a great number on the piece of paper, but everything else was being stressed. It'd be like literally trying to paddle up the rapid. When, if we could have turned the team, what I learned, if we turned the team, focused them towards this great result and, and paddled with the stream, all of us going in the same direction, the results could have and ended up being very similar, but with a lot less stress on everybody involved. Like you can force something, to, if you're a really strong-willed leader, you can force something to happen. For a period of time yeah it, but it's, it's not sustainable yeah it's that metaphor of sisyphus right going back to the ancients of just pushing that boulder up the hill over and over and over but you know sometimes i think it's called occam's razor it's like the, the simplest solution is the is the best solution and i learned that i learned I, I now i can deliver not me my team can deliver similar results and everybody, it feels flawless sometimes because what I tell people is, is the river is very wide. And if you don't use a rapid section, you have to see rapids up ahead. But if you just think about a river, you know, I use the river and the river banks as kind of a, a management philosophy as well, where, you know, every organization has to have what I call river banks, right? We have things we don't breach. We don't breach our culture. We don't breach our integrity. We don't breach our, our humility. We don't breach the way we value others. And so if somebody's in their in their own canoe and they're in our river, they're a leader and they've got their canoe, let's say their canoe's their department and they're heading down the river and they start heading towards the bank, then their leader's role or my role is to gently correct them back to the center of the river. Because my goal is to have the whole group paddling together, heading down the river. And that's when you really get things running as a company. If you let the riverbanks down, what do we get? We get a flood. And a flood wrecks everything. Wow, I, I, that's such a great metaphor. I really hope that you do more with that because I read a lot of business books. And to me, I think you have something here that can really be a, a book. I mean, it's a philosophy. I, I think you could definitely write about it. It's, I have a busy day job. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, find the eddy in the river. And, uh, and chill out and get, get these out on paper. I think, uh, I really think you're onto something, Chris. So going back to like the first question, which is how do you define hospitality? You said genuine care and concern, right? And you've learned it, like maybe the best example was from your grandmother and you've related this and had these small moments of care and concern and interaction and, and curiosity with others. Oftentimes we're all, we also learn and some of the most informative learning experiences are like, the flip side or the worst experience. So understanding your best and your definition, like what's like the worst story that, or worst experience that you've had that helped guide you to the other bank or, or away from the bank or as the dam was breaking? Okay, so I, I have actually have two. I have, I have another, I can share a business example. I, I will warn you, it may cause me to get slightly emotional on the positive side. And then I'm an emotional like guy. That. I'm a, I'm a, I lead from my heart. That's who I am. So it's, it's, you get it all or you get nothing. Most, when I, when I have our company conferences, 
the the directors of sales and the team will ask for tissues at their table because I normally give a very heartfelt speech and people are crying. I don't know why, but I just elicit tears. I don't know if that's a good thing or bad thing, right? It's just but so I, I think the most negative example I can remember in one thing, let me give you two things. I had a great mentor, name was Mike, uh, had been a VP and SVP for a major corporation in hotel business, but near the end of his career, decided to go back and be a GM because he loved the people and he wanted to mentor people. And uh, I was very, very aggressive, as you can probably imagine. I was ready. I can be a GM tomorrow. I'm ready. You know, and I'd only been in the business a month. You know, I'm ready to do this and whatever. And he'd say, young man, you got to slow down. And, and so at one point after a couple of years, I had kind of, I was feeling my oats and I told Mike something and I said, I said, I think we should do this. And he said, young man, what does my business card say? So I'm like, well, so I was general manager. And he said, that's right. And he said, so you need to go to your office and make a file that says when I'm the general manager. And you need to put notes in there about things you're going to do that you want to do when you're the general manager. But today, I'm the general manager. And this is what we're going to do. And while it was, while it was in the moment a hard lesson, I know what he was trying to teach me was you learn something good and something bad from everyone. So, so my bad story is uh, I was at another very busy hotel. I was the number two in command of a very, very busy place. And um, a guest was unhappy about something, which happens in our business. I mean, you know, when you have a massive hotel, things happen. And the guest was unhappy and they called and they wanted to talk to the general manager. And that actually, that, that hotel actually had a president of the hotel. It was that big. And they, they got through his admin and onto the phone with him. And they, they bent his ear about dissatisfaction with some things. Uh, and I got, I was busy out on the hotel somewhere else, long ways away, big, big place. And I got called to his office and he, I've never in my life been talked to this way. He called me in and he said, he said, you know, I just had to talk to a guest on the phone. That was the first thing that I thought was a negative. And then the second thing he said, if I ever God have to, did. if I ever have to talk to a guest again, and you don't handle it, that'll be your last day here. Now get out there. Here's the problem. You get out there and you fix it. And don't ever let it happen again. I mean, it was just brutal. And actually, it wasn't privately in his office. We were in like an open space. And there were several people there. So, of course, I was, you know, I respected the man. So I went out and, uh, of course, that knocked it down quite a bit. But I, I went out and I handled it. But I just remembered that there's so many things wrong with that interaction. Like, how are you the head of this massive care and concern facility and you don't want to talk to the people that pay your paycheck, right? And you don't want to set the example for the team of how to handle a difficult guest and win the day for that difficult guest. You know, my career has been spent winning difficult situations over and turning them positive. And the outcomes that have come from those are, I could tell you story after story of negatives that have turned into long-term clients. I mean, just tons of stories. So I think that, you know, we don't realize it. As we get promoted up the chain, GM, VP, whatever, COO, our words have power, huge power. Um, you know, I think there's real danger in being flippant. I think there's real danger in trying to be cute when you're leading people. I think that you need to be authentic. You need to think deeply about what you're going to say and how you're going to handle situations because those things leave an imprint on people. And that left an imprint on me. I knew I'd never be that leader. And I knew the minute I heard an upset guest, I would be the first one up on my desk. There could have been three other people that were subordinate to me in the hotel that might have had to go. I'm going to go. I, not because I don't trust them to do it. I want to show, lead, lead by example, care and concern. And um, when there was a difficult situation, there was nothing better than having the general manager of the hotel come out and say, we made a mistake. And that's what I'd say. We screwed up. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fix it. And I'm going to make sure you have the best day ever from now forward. And who else can set that standard, right? So uh, that's resonating with me so much because oftentimes, you know, in doing projects or whatever, you know, things go wrong. And oftentimes people speak around the actual core issue. But I, I call it, and I, I don't remember where I learned this from, but I called it entering the danger. You just go straight to it so that there's no um, inference, no misunderstanding and say, okay, this is it. We made a mistake. I made a mistake. Here's what I'm going to do to fix it. And it really diffuses the whole situation. So again, I think oftentimes we can learn from 
the horrible experiences and it just makes us better leaders and and more experienced i think that with the uh, your mentor mike yeah who who said oh create a file with when i'm gm i'll do this i think okay that's uh, that's interesting i think the cooler thing would be create that file but you know what once a month or once a quarter let's review it and see if there's any good gems in there yeah. right so it's almost it almost like compartmentalizes your ideas right right no that's a good point that's a good point i'm part of a group um of leaders that we talk about they have this thing called the buffalo culture and um i don't know if you know this or not but a little bit of trivia when the winter storm when a winter storm is coming towards a herd of buffalo the buffalo turn into the storm and they walk through the storm why that makes sense right the storm's heading towards you you walk through the storm you're going to get through it faster a normal cow will turn and walk with the storm and have much more chance to die in the storm or whatever but a buffalo will turn into the storm it's fascinating i i really have done some reading about it. it's fascinating so so that's who we want to be as leaders is you got to turn into the storm you might as well head it face on and navigate it and own it i mean and then get through it it's just like the, the rapids in the river the rapid yeah. is there you have to go through it are you going to navigate it successfully or are you going to turn and try and swim over to the bank and get out and run because that's not leadership at all I love that metaphor of, of the being the buffalo and walking through the storm. Uh, that's super powerful. So I'm going to meditate on that one. Um, <laughs> so let me tell you, let me tell you the story. I want to share it. It's a powerful yeah. story for me personally. Genuine care and concern for your employees. So our, our chairman of our company, Chesapeake, his name is Kim Sims. He's one of the family and the founding partners. Um, he's been with the company since birth. He was living in the hotel that they had, a 12-room hotel. They lived in it when they started the company and his family. So um, he he's just a great man, and he cares about people first. And that's where I learned a lot of what I what I believe to be true. But in 2007, I was the general manager of a hotel in Houston, and my mom was sick with cancer. And uh, she, my mom was a very strong-willed lady, and she didn't tell our family that she had been she had gone through and been in remission before, and then she didn't tell everybody that came back. She kind of kept it from us because she didn't want to go through. She didn't like, did not like chemo, did not want to go through it again. And uh, next thing you know, August of 2007, I got a call at the hotel. It says from my dad, it says, your mom's in hospice. And I said, what? Like, how did that happen? I didn't know. And she had been keeping it from us. And um Long story short, I called my boss at the time, Kim, and I said, I got to go home to Florida. I was living in Houston, got to go home to Florida, flew home. And me being a young manager, I had an important busy hotel in Houston downtown. So I told the team, I said, you know, I would need to text me every day, call me, let me know what's going on with the financials. I need the occupancy, blah, 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 blah whatever. And uh, it was strangely quiet for the next three weeks until my mom finally passed. Um, and I get back to work and I call the hotel and I would call my assistant GM and he would say, everything's fine, it's great, we're killing it, everything's great, you know? Hope things are going well, we're thinking about you, buddy. You know, that's what he would say. And, uh, sorry. And uh, so I get back to the hotel after it's all over with and everything and I talk to the team and I was like, I mean, you guys, I said, you guys did great, you know, no problems in three weeks. And we're so busy. We had these major conferences and everything else. And uh, they said, well, <laughs> we had some problems. We did. He said, but uh, gosh, I'm very emotional about this because it's so powerful. He said, but Kim called us. And he said, you guys are forbidden. bothering him it's powerful that's a genuine care and concern yeah and really like i'm thank you for sharing i mean that's very powerful and to think about kim as maybe being the ultimate river guide right so he's back there really he's been there he knows as you're coming up and he he 
made a leader out of you at that moment. Well, you already were a leader, but really, I think that was just like the ultimate move that was very transformative for you. It was, it was. I mean, it, look how it affects me. This is what, 14 years later, mm -hmm. just affects me. I mean, it, it affects me because in that moment, he could have chose business over personal, you know, mm -hmm. up three days of bereavement, get back to work. Not, he actually told me, you don't come back till everything's handled. And it, I was panicking at two weeks. I'd never been out of a hotel or out of work for two weeks. Then it went to three, then three and a half. The funeral, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, am I still going to have a job? And to go back to work and find out that he forbid them from telling me anything negative or even calling me. That's amazing. Yeah. We need more people like Kim. He's a good man. He's a good man. And I, and, I, and I don't mind sharing it. I don't like being emotional in front of like whoever's going to end up seeing this. But here's the deal. It's, I'm authentic. I'm always authentic. And, and to me, it's a very, very powerful statement about choosing. At that moment, he chose, he, he is a person of integrity and humility. And he, he, he chose, he didn't have to choose. It was just simply who he is. It's the right thing to do. You know, business will go on. People are, people matter. Yeah, and, and that goes with the whole idea of vulnerability and that really the, the moments that people remember most are when they are walking through that storm and they make themselves vulnerable and they share. And so like, again, the point of this conversation that we're having in, in larger perspective of defining hospitality, it's these, these vulnerable stories that you just shared are really what help all of us who love and are so passionate about this industry connect the dots and like and build upon and stand upon the shoulders of those who come before us because it only makes us stronger and again when you go back to that word hoopla you used earlier we can lose so much in what it means to care for others and to ensure that others are being cared for so you know i think it's just it's very powerful and i know that this that that story is going to impact many people so thank you for sharing on that front. Um, kind of going in there, like we all spend so much time on the road. And in that case, you were <clears throat> visiting your mom in hospice and you were away from work with family. But look, like as you are now, when you travel away from your family or your home and you're on the road, how do you make yourself feel at home? Mm. You know, that's changed over the years. The, the, that's it's changed and initially initially when you're doing 100 days a year out on the road initially it's exciting when you're young and you're, i'm going to la or i'm going to new york and all that and now it's interesting how much i want it to be like home mm -hmm. you know I, I i really do so i mean some of the things that i do and they're kind of quirky but i try to keep the same schedule that i'd keep at home my wife and i like to go to bed relatively early i don't stay out late on the road unless i have a big business dinner i try to keep the same bedtime i you know, I read a book before bed or, or whatever. Um, I always, same thing. I, I always tuck my daughter, my nine-year-old into bed. So I still tuck her in on the road. I call. And frankly, I will tell even business dinners, this is where I've kind of drawn the line. I will step away from a business dinner and go outside and FaceTime my daughter. Because to me, just like Kim Sims, Sims made that commitment for me, I'm making that commitment for my daughter. Like I, she's more important than a business deal. And I guess if any of my future clients are listening here, I want you to know that about me now. My family is first. So it uh, doesn't mean I won't crush it for you because uh, we will, but because I'm so much better when my family is whole, as are all of our people, right? So those are keeping that good, consistent system and, and really paying attention to yourself and how you feel. I don't like I don't like being unsettled. So like we're going to uh, Alice in a few weeks out in California. That's a hard one, but my wife and I talk every morning here at my house. We sit in the back room and we have coffee every morning at 6.30. So yes, I'll be up at 3.30, Los Angeles, on the phone, talking to my wife and saying good morning because it's consistency and it's, it's authentic and it feels good. So I try to keep the same routine. So if you're with me at dinner, Dan, in, in LA at 7 LA time, which is 10, and I look like I'm asleep, I'm probably almost am asleep. <laughs> yeah, it's like time zones have no bearing on family interaction. No, and they can't. They can't. Mm -hmm. So they when can't. you're doing your nighttime routine and the book you're reading, what book are you reading right now? 
Well, the book that I have right here on my desk is called The Leader Within Us by Warren Rustand. So, oh my, holy crap. Warren Rustand, more than maybe any other human being in the world, had a tremendous effect on my life. He is incredible. Have you met him before? I have not. Oh my gosh. That guy, he could have, I think he's done everything. He went, he played college basketball. He played professional basketball. He was a member of a presidential cabinet. He ran all these different companies. And that's where I think I said it before, that whole idea of lift where you stand. Um, that's where I got that from him. He actually gave me this incredible routine that I practice every day. Um, it's called 10, 10, 10. And it's, um, I meditate or I'm mindful for 10 minutes. I read for 10 minutes and then I journal for 10 minutes. And it's like, for me, it's like a, when you turn on a computer and the operating system is booting up, um, it, it, it's my way to start the day. So yeah. what's, your big, what's your big win from Warren? He is well, freaking amazing. Oh, it's amazing. I mean, it's funny that, 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 I mean, I'm just on, I mean, I was reading this today and I underlined some of the stuff. Um, but it says at the end of this chapter, being vulnerable, authentic, and transparent takes focus. There have been times in my life where I've struggled to do it. I've had to battle with pride and ego, as most of us do. Um, anytime our life, anytime life or our decisions throw us off our chosen path, remember those three great moments of truth. Determine our core beliefs, commit to those core beliefs, and act on those core beliefs and values. So it's funny that that's where I'm at today. Um, wow. It speaks my language. It's, it's really good. Good book. If you're watching, it's a great book. This is oh, another I'm going to totally email him. On my desk. That's a great Dan, one. Dan, get, Dan got me, so... That's really powerful on Warren. I mean, he, when I saw him speak, I did this program up at MIT with a bunch of other entrepreneurs from around the world. It was a three-year program. And he was in the first year. He carries around, I think it, I think he calls it his bucket list. It must be. It, it's like his, I don't know how many items are in it, handwritten in a plastic bag. And I think that he's checked off almost all of them except for president of the United States and one other, I don't remember. Now I, I want to reach out and ask him. Yeah, that's awesome. You should ask him. You should totally ask him. Um, so going on to that one and not losing sight and going with the Warren theme on the bucket list, like what's it, what's your number one bucket list item you want to get to? Uh, well, I mean, my, this is a big bucket list thing. I don't know if it'll happen or not. My, I, I'm like a big homer, like, right. I'm a USA. I can't wait for the Olympics. So mm -hmm. I've always dreamed of attending. I didn't go in 96 in Atlanta. I didn't, couldn't have, I just couldn't have possibly afforded it or whatever. But so big bucket list we got on there is the summer Olympics in Paris in 26. Ooh. So, I mean, that's a huge bucket list item. Um, and then there's, there's some other minor ones. I'm going to get, I'm getting a, I'm actually getting to fill one this week soon or not. Into the summer, I'm going to the U.S. Open in New York to watch some tennis. Oh, I'm, I'm trying to plan it, too. We should definitely try and coordinate. Oh, I would love to. The, I mean, tennis to me is this beautiful, beautiful sport when played, like, by certain people. You know, it's just a, people that don't know the game, and I'm terrible. I love to play, but I'm not great at it. But people that don't know the game don't even have any clue how majestic it can be, quite frankly, to deal with that. Mm. <laughs> so... Have you ever been to early stages at uh, U.S. Open? I've not. I've never been to the U.S. Open. I've never been. So. Okay. So in the finals, it's all great. Like if you can go, that's awesome. It's on the big court. But if you go early, like first, second round during the day, usually it's really freaking hot, but you're just walking around and you're, you're literally 10 feet away from some of the best tennis players, some of the best, and then some of the aspiring and to just see them operate at a different level of athleticism it's it's incredibly inspirational and like and mind opening yeah so um what about you what do you have a big bucket list item my big bucket list items they're they tend to be these long walking trips so i want to do the appalachian trail um i want to do the camino santiago and i want to do the um walk hadrian's wall so this summer, I'm doing my first part of the Appalachian Trail in Connecticut, um, as I'm a new nutmegger moving up here. So I have this vision of doing it all in one shot, but I'm just going to do a couple little pockets here and there. But there's something 
I guess bringing it back to the river guide, it's being on a trip. We're also busy and spread out everywhere and always looking at what lays down river. To me, to go on a really long walking trip and just really be focused on the next step and nothing else seems like the ultimate experience. And so my bucket list tended to be these like really long walking trips. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Some of my bucket list things I imagine are things I don't know about, if that makes any sense. So my oh. wife talked me into doing a um, Tough mutter this spring. My wife's really physically fit and I hate running, hate it. She wanna go on record. I don't, I don't like it. And I, I, you know, I go to the gym and I play tennis and stuff, but I'm not a workout fanatic. Um, I, I mean, I was so exhilarated when I finished it. I, I did finish it and I was on top of the world. And so now I'm, mm -hmm. you know, that, that's like, oh, wow, I wanna do a dip, more difficult one and I wanna try some, you know, push yourself. I think things, sometimes we associate bucket list things with like reward type items like trips and whatever, go into Bali or something. But I think there's really value in, in bucket list items where you stretch yourself, like you push mm -hmm. your physical and mental limits. Um, I did rappel down the side for charity of side of a thousand foot tall hotel. That one I hate and I will never Ooh. do it again ever, but you did ever, it ever. Listen, you want to hear a funny quick story that yes. there, was, there was me and there was another lady. It was for charity. And they said, okay, here's your break and everything and how you do it. I was kind of hyperventilating. I have a picture of it. I wish I could flash it up. You could see my face looks like I'm very intent. But what it was, was I was trying to breathe. You know, I was like, yeah. oh, I can't breathe. And um, so it took her like seven minutes to go down. I was down in like three minutes and 30 seconds. I was like, oh, I just wanted to get down. I couldn't take it. I am um, mortified of heights. What hotel was it that you were uh, rappelling down? The Lowe's Orlando, the Lowe's Resort, oh. downtown Orlando, big, tall, yeah. maybe it's 700 feet, but it was far too high. You know, just far oh too my high. gosh. Yeah. I don't know if I, I don't know if I could be down with that. Well, going on to that anxiety of like, as you were feeling that and just trying to breathe, this is a great question. I love asking as, as it pertains to like you and your life, like what's keeping you up at night these days as it pertains to our industry and um, caring and concerning for others. I hate the I hate the kind of the vice grip of pressure that everybody's under right now. And what I mean by that is, is we've got, I mean, at a very high level, you've got asset owners who need a return to profitability yesterday. You've got banks and debt sources and equity sources that have extended grace to the ownership groups and operating groups for 16 months because of unprecedented circumstances, but they need a return as well. And then you've got associates who for 14 months or 15 months did so much more with so much less than anybody knows while adding 9 million different protocols to do different things, elevator protocols, and this protocol, that protocol, um, that are just exhausted that the, that the, the hospitality is almost wrung out of them. There's, and so as we're trying to accelerate for this constituency on this side to get them back to wholeness, this side's not yet whole and they don't have enough help. So trying to get back to whole is being blunted by the lack of availability of staffing. And so you have these opposing forces and everybody's, I have to say, everybody's understanding, but only to a point. Uh, only to a point and and when you have a bank saying i don't understand you know why we can't get a better returns and you can't physically service the volume because there's no staff or your current staff would you know mutiny which i think you saw everybody's seen about the Burger King where the whole team walked out last yeah. month, last week you can it's the most unbelievable dichotomy of goals right now and so and everybody has the same goal, but we cannot get there in some circumstances. So it's creating brutal pressure on relationships. It's creating brutal pressure on staff. Um, it's, so it's, you said something that just jumped out at me right there. And I'm wondering like how you get it back, but it's, it's this idea. And I've, I haven't heard this, but that the hospitality has been wrung out of everyone. That is a powerful metaphor. So 
how do you see that playing out? Where's your hope in that as the, as the captain or as the guide? My hope is, is that we see wins. I mean, so I guess the point that the last point I didn't get to on that and the hospitality being wrung out of them. So imagine that you're at somebody at their end of their rope and these are great people. They've been doing this a long time, you know, they're pros, but they're just at their end of their rope. They've been, we have GMs that have been working night audit and this, and that and the other. And then you get hit with a massive wave of demand and you're understaffed. And then you get negative guest feedback, which you're, which, because the guests, where have they been locked in their houses for 16 months? Mm -hmm. So they want to get out and experience brilliant travel. And listen, let me be clear. We want to deliver brilliant travel. However, I may not physically be capable of it because I can't, maybe I can't open the rooftop bar. Maybe I can't open the restaurant. I don't have staff. Maybe I don't. I see it every day. And so to me, that's almost like taking this open wound that our team has and pounding on it instead of them getting a chance to heal. So we're, we're being as thoughtful as we can in providing resources. Um, we've provided training, leadership training, more holistic, like not like leadership training, but how to deal with adversity, anxiety, challenges. We're providing resources to our team to try and help them through this because it's brutal. It's brutal. Yeah. I don't know the outcome, honestly. I'm trying to stay the course and share wins and share the future, um, try and keep them focused on the horizon and not on the what's right in front of them. It's really like trying to figure out after we've all been so blasted, just trying to figure out how to fill that reservoir. Um, it's going to be a continuing challenge. And I'd love to check in at some point to see where the wins and where the successes are and where the wins are coming from. But given where we are right now, what's exciting you most about the future? Aside from your trip to Paris for the Olympics in 2026. Oh. Because <laughs> you're going to do it. <laughs> we'll see. Um, well, the, what's exciting me most about the future? I think what's exciting me really the most when I think about it, and I just re redact myself from like the current state, is that we're going to have a group of leaders who've been through something more difficult than any of us were ever through. They're going to be more battle-tested, tough, and savvy on how to navigate critical changes in business volumes than any leadership set ever before. They're also going to have, they're also going to be operating under new hospitality standards and being able to create the, the new, not the new normal, the new essence of hospitality, whether that's how housekeeping is handled, how food and beverage is handled and delivered, whether it's, you know, do we have DoorDash instead of rooms and room services, internal? I mean, they're just going to have so many new things to work on. That's exciting to me. Um, and I think there is going to be a renaissance. Anybody who says anything that food and beverage in hotels is dead, bars are dead, they're wrong. I'm just telling you they're wrong. I've been through 9-11 and I've been through the financial crisis and everything everybody said was pretty much wrong, right? We were never flying again after 9-11, never. You know, I've had 2000 flights since then, so. Totally. So going back to those experiences from your, your younger self and, you know, all those trips down the river, so to speak, um, if you could teleport back to your younger self when you're first starting off in your career as a, you started as a, a bellman, a bellhop? Oh, I actually started as a cook in a restaurant. I mean, long, okay. very beginning. So you're back at, you're as a cook, you're on the line, you're in the kitchen. What advice would you order your, uh, would you, what advice would you offer your younger self in an essence, in, in a way to shorten your journey? That's such a good question. I, I mean, it would be probably it would be really to listen and take advantage of wiser leaders, both for good and bad. When you think when you when I saw things that I knew were bad to learn from that and to make sure I didn't that I avoided those pitfalls, because to be truthful, I remember my first management role and I did a terrible job. I was very, very young. I got promoted at a very young age to a manager job and I was a manager and everybody needed to listen to me because I was the manager and obviously I was smarter than them. that boy that was just a it was a train wreck and uh I would say to all the all the leaders out there you're going to make mistakes don't be too hard on yourself learn from the mistakes I was very 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 aware of my mistakes as I grew my career and I would make notes 
And not only did I put when I'm a GM, I would put things I will never do again, right? Things I will never joke about again, things I will never say flippantly again, because if you don't learn from them, you're going to, you know, you're just going to keep creating the same mistakes. It comes with curiosity. Why didn't that work? What was my part in it? And that's the other thing that, that we probably don't have time to touch on, but you you got to own your role in problems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Agreed. Most of the problem involves is partner. You, were you there? Then you're part of the problem, probably, whether it's your leadership or how you handled it. or And a lot of times we're like, well, Dan did it wrong. No. I mean, there was something about Chris Green that did something wrong that set Dan up to do it wrong. Mm-hmm. And we, we, it's like that old thing when people come to me after a few weeks and they say, we hired this new manager and we're going to let him go. And I, the first question I ask nowadays is not why. I'm like, well, where did we go wrong in the hiring process? You know, where did, what, what, what mistake did we make that this three weeks in and we didn't pick this person right? Yeah. What's our role? I love that. I, I, for difficult conversations, whenever there's a challenge, it's always, I always accept blame. And my role in this is X. And I think it, again, that's vulnerability, right? And it helps everyone come up with a, a holistic solution so that you, you have that experience going down the river so that you could avoid that rapid again. Being vulnerable, um, being vulnerable is not weakness at all. Actually, to me, being vulnerable is a sign of strength. It says I'm comfortable that I know I make mistakes. I know I'm, but I'm here in this with you. And I'm not afraid to show you that I'm, I make mistakes too. So. Awesome. Um, so Chris, as we kind of wind this up, where can people find you? What are some conferences you're coming up on? Um, Web page, LinkedIn, tell us. Yeah, uh, you can find us, on, of course, on LinkedIn at Chesapeake Hospitality or on the web at chesapeakehospitality.com. And you can come see me in person at uh, America's Lodging Investment Summit or the Star Data Conference or the Lodging Conference. Uh, or uh, I'll be at NYU. So we're back on the big conference uh, travel and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm available. So my email is easy. It's cgreen at Chesapeake Hospitality. If you listen to the podcast and you have questions about uh, River Guide leadership or anything that we've talked about, I'd love to share with you. I, that's part of our role as leaders is giving back to others in the industry. Awesome. Uh, so Chris, I just want to say first, thank you so much for your time. I know how busy you are and how all over the place you, you are and, man, and keeping your team and leading. Um, thank you for sharing where people can learn more. Um, as for everyone, thank you for listening. If you learned something today or laughed, tell someone about the podcast. And thank you, everyone. Uh, we will see you next time. <laughs>